Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So in today's Doc Talk episode, we're going to take a wee bit of a dive into future policy, but certainly a dive into future systems is where we'd be probably heading. Uh, today, I'm quite excited to be joined by two internal speakers to, to SRUC. We've got Colin Mason from uh, Dumfries Vet Labs and also Sasha Grierson, uh, who among several other things in within SEC Consulting, it leads up the Scottish Farm Business Survey. So, Colin, um, could I just come to you first? You've been on the podcast before. Yes. And we've talked about veterinary things and what's happening in vet labs and, and various things dairy-wise. Yeah. But today, really, we're looking at beef. Mm-hmm. And the, we'll come to Sasha in a minute about profitability and, and where the beef sector is at, where it's been. Mm-hmm. But profitability in the beef sector is 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 tricky and there are quite a lot of policy signals coming at the moment one the the, the main one being the perhaps 400 day calving interval becoming a a more significant part of future beef calf schemes and things what are your thoughts there on you know in terms of of government support and and where farmers should be at when it comes to calving interval well uh a few things to say around calving interval in suckler herds is um, government support or no government support uh, achieving and aiming for as low a calving interval as possible, and certainly four hundred days, if you call it that, is is a an easily achievable goal that is the basis of being potentially able to be profitable uh in that we need to have fertility as a basic minimum uh to to have a a good chance at being able to maximize the output from a group of suckler cows um i would make two points at this stage i think i would hark back to um work that my colleague tim tim garrity did uh, which i think will have been talked about many many times just looking at the number of calves reared per cows put to the bull. And, you know, one of the key messages with that is, is if the fertility is not right at the start, everything flows from that. You have to get good fertility uh, of your suckler herd right at the start uh, of the process. So when you you do your PDs in the uh, late summer, early autumn, you know, we want as high a preg rate at that stage as is conceivably possible because we will, you know, lose odd calves through the process thereafter or lose our pregnancies through that process thereafter. Therefore, you've got to start with a high figure because you haven't got a high figure at the start. You're definitely not going to have a high figure at the end. And that's absolutely critical. There's loads of things that flow off that as well, which, uh, um, you know, are, are equally important but but getting the fertility right at the start is absolutely crucial and uh therefore any sort of industry target uh is is, is a good one to have the other thing i would say about any target i i'm always a little bit worried about averages um and that the way i would want to look at this is um uh you know the number of animals that meet the target and ideally every animal should be sub 400 days in the perfect world um 
but you can easily see how you could skew a herd average by having a few real outliers um and and therefore a better way of looking at it is you know uh trying to maximize the proportion of cows that are within whatever target you set and and certainly sub 400 days as a, an interval between births would be be a nice easy one to do yeah and and that's really the driver so obviously in terms of future policy nothing's confirmed we're only working on proposals and and what's a we we expect to come down the line but this 400 day calving interval or, or you know, however it's going to look as as a conditional part of your payment, really is it's almost it's a it's a win win. It's it's government support, financial support, to encourage us to be more efficient and be more profitable down the line. So to me, and I, and I think we all have to declare here we're all working for Scottish government in this podcast. You know, this is a Scottish government funded job. But in this case, if I take my take that hat off and just put my consultant hat on. It makes absolute sense to be driving fertility into these beef beef businesses. I find it interesting when you look at, you know, high yielding dairy farms. They have got multiple things to sell. They've calves to sell. They've milk to sell. Milk being the primary, um, a, you know, reason to be if you like. The fertility is the biggest driver to profit in there as well. You know, it's a major major a metric and something they've chased so so hard but if they're not in calf they're still milking them and they're still making money so it's not you know it's not to say it doesn't matter in the dairy world but the dairy world have chased it so hard they've actually got there in a lot of cases and in the beef world we're probably sadly lacking um so yeah maybe i'm being too critical but sasha in terms of, so first of all, welcome to Stop Talk, your first time on here. We had Hugh Grierson a few few months ago uh, as your other half. So Hugh's mm-hmm. obviously organic farming in Perthshire. Um, your role today, I suppose, is a, as a, a economist or, or financial um, kind of conversationalist, what would we say? <laughs> uh, Better description, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of suckler cow profitability, have you got, from the survey, have we got indicators of you know are we making progress there are we getting better are we less reliant on support you know where are we yeah i think i think this is a really interesting question Uh, um i was talking about agricultural statistics yesterday and sometimes people criticize them because they're kind of lagging they give you information that happened last year um What's really clear about uh, a long-term trend around uh, of agricultural statistics is that you can actually see progress over time, and and I think the the there is no denying that the results from the Scottish Farm Business Survey over time show that livestock farms are resistant to profitability without support. Very, there are some years when they just make a small profit without support and some years where they make, you know, they dip under the line without support. But overall, they have, they're, they're, it's challenging to make, to make money. And so, um, so economic, you know, the, the farm economics on that group of those groups of farms is always going to, is always going to rely on support. And so it's no surprise that it's no surprise that this is now becoming embedded in this, this will potentially become prof, um, productivity measures in your herds and flocks and flocks potentially, I don't know where that's going, but in your suckler herd may well become part and parcel of, of policy support. And, and, it, and it actually, you know, 
it comes back to the whole point that Colin's making. You know, you really need to think about what is the right thing to do for my business? Is it right for my business that I need to think about getting more output from from my existing asset base? And it's like, that is just a basic business metric. You know, one surefire way of increasing your uh, your profitability is to look at your output. And that's what this policy metric talks to very, very clearly. Yeah. I was speaking at a, a meeting in RSA. It was a Croft and Cows meeting. And it's always good to go out your own area, speak to a different group of people. And, and obviously priorities in the in no, the Northwest are different to to what they are in Ayrshire, Dumfries and Galloway and the, the areas we are norm, I'm normally working in. And I'd made a point about fertility and about getting more calves on the ground alive. And I was challenged by a few people in the room about how they're actually, their primary function is a biodiversity grazer rather than as a an output machine. And, and so my, the criticism to me was that I was too focused on production. And my criticism back to them was, why not do the biodiversity bit with the production? Yeah, there, there are plenty of... Uh, there's plenty of breed types or, or cow types that can do both. And we also have tools, and Colin will probably talk about this more and perhaps you, Robert, we have plenty of tools in our toolkit to be able to choose the right genetics or improve genetics to try and improve these uh, productivity metrics. But you've got to start at quite a high level. You've got to think, well, okay, if this is my problem that I, I have lack of profitability, what can I do to get more output and potentially then you begin to consider how you control your costs. And that, that's a different question. But it comes down to the series of questions you begin to ask yourself of your business. And if you're running a business, you do have a duty of care to think about how that business will be profitable so that it can carry on supporting you, your family, your family's goals. And also people you know, maintain employment should you have employees in your business as well. That's actually a fundamental reason for being in business I would have thought and I don't know any farmer who genuinely wants to be supported if they, if they could get what they what they need from a from a profitable business without government support they would be glad to do it but we know there's a need for support but what the interesting thing there's a lot of the suckler guys myself included that that need support because we don't have enough calves in the ground and now we're moving to a system where the support structure encourages encourages us towards having more calves in the ground. So there's now two things pushing. You know, there's there's a a two reasons to go at this. Colin, if we are so, let's see. Who knows? Policy wise, we don't know what's coming. We don't know when it's coming, but we do know getting extra calves in the ground is a route to success no matter what the rest of the economy looks like no matter what the you know price of fertilizer is price of anything is the more calves we get in the ground the better off we're going to be what do we do so where, where do you start with you know the if the average person average business has said weaning 85 calves it vary, the number of the metrics vary but say we're getting 85 calves per 100 cows to the bull where would you start what's the lowest of low-hanging fruit to start picking off to get more on the ground? I mean, obviously, there's a whole sort of tier of different things that one can do. Um, but actually, as we as we sit here right now uh, in late February, looking towards a calving period and then looking towards a breeding period, then let's start with some of the simple 
and basic things. So your bull is or bulls are fifty percent of your herd's fertility right from the outset. So let's get that bit right. Um, uh, everyone is aware of the impact of an infertile or a subfertile bull on herd performance. It's either going to increase your barren rate, or it is going to reduce the number of calvings that you get in the first turn, um, and you're going to end up with you know more calves born late in the breeding season which is going to extend your calving interval or you're going to end up um, uh, with an extended breeding season which will give you the same result the net result clearly is going to be that the you know the weight of beef that is weaned from that herd in a particular year is going to be less um so that's a really really easy one to start with um in in terms of fertility testing bulls we know out there that uh, somewhere in the region of about a fifth of bulls are subfertile so they're not optimal and having that information in terms of the the bull stud power that you've got uh, and and what is working and what is not is a huge step forward um you know for some breeding herds that has become standard in that every year the bull stud is tested ahead of the breeding period um that does not give you an absolute guarantee of future fertility through the breeding period in that things happen accidents happen things change uh but it's a basic starting point and and having that information i think you could speak to any farmer who does this and and you know it has become a standard part of their management protocols throughout the year because they can identify uh where some of their challenges might come right from the start and solve them before the breeding period even starts so i think that's a real basic one um uh and, and the more and there's done, also the better. sorry colin there's also money there to do it you know, there's a there's a pot of money at the moment available to help you with bull testing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a nice, you know, if we want to pick off really, really simple things, that's a beauty right from the start is is to to think, right, well, what can we do about that? Uh, and how can we best manage it? And there are going to be improvements to be gained across the piece, across the national herd, uh, uh, within herds, between herds, there will be improvements that can be made. It doesn't uh, solve all your problems, but at the end of the day, what's always a really difficult situation come late summer, autumn is is where you have a, a lot of empty cows because you know there's been a bull that's not been working properly. And it's, you know, it's too late to fix it at that point, obviously, because the damage is done. Mm, disaster. And we, we do, sadly, we do hear that story annually and, and multiple times annually as, you know, there's a, a bull not worked or, or equally a tup not worked. Um I think there's something here in all of this to understand what optimum looks like. It's very difficult for any farming system to operate at maximum capacity. And, you know, there's something about lowering your risk, you know, trying to think about the investment that you make in your bull fertility or checking your bull fertility ahead of time, or even, you know, your wider herd health status, um, that actually you're, you're trying to lower your risk of bad things happening that have a significant impact on your output. And that's what, for me in my head, that that is a very much a route to profitability or a route to a better financial picture is that you're kind of chipping away at that risk of bad things happening by 
having, you know, Colin, you talked about management protocols, you know, a kind of schedule of things that you do year in, year out. And sometimes, sometimes for people, it can feel like a really big mountain to climb. But it's the kind of thing that if you don't even take the first step, or you don't even think about, you know, four key things or three key things you need to do, that actually, you'll always be at the bottom of the hill. And, and actually, if you're being incentivized to do it, and there are pots of money to be able to go for, then there comes a point where you have to go, well, actually, I can't not do it, you know. And I suppose our job in that advisory piece is to is to have that quite sort of, you know, what are the right things to do quite clearly laid out quite simply for people who are at different points on that climbing the mountain. The, the I think, one I, I would say, sorry, Colin, the one I would say here is um, – Looking at the so the support pieces, the story of four hundred day calving interval being part of beef calf scheme has has been talked about for a long time, and there's quite a lot of pushback there in terms of you know government taking money off people, and actually the cost that to you. So if you've got the the textbook example as the cow who wasn't in calf but was too good to kill, so you run around, you give her a holiday for a winter. But what you miss there is you actually give her a holiday for that winter and the next winter. Now, we could discuss all day what, what it costs to get a cow through a winter. But for an e- to pick an easy figure, let's say £600 is the, the cost of that, that cow for the year, a, or for the winter, £600 times two, £1,200. The, the calf that is born in the, the, after the holiday has to be a blooming good one to cover those costs why are we talking about the loss of the hundred pound rather than the loss of the the twelve hundred pound cost that's a really interesting way of looking at it um, and i was kind of i was thinking while colin was talking and you were talking robert about the concept of investment the investment you make and the return the potential return on investment that you make if it costs you 400 pounds to get your all three bulls tested and make sure that they're working, that they have the potential to work properly and, and, and do their job correctly. They have the potential. I'm going to use that word. Um, then actually that is a, that's the money right there, that example you've given. If you can, all you need is one extra cow in calf and you've said, you know, you, your return on investment right there is, is, well, anyway, it's whatever it is. It's just that you've 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 made money back. So, in many ways, this is about this is about the I don't know. There's an economic phrase for it, and I am not an economist, so I don't know quite what it is. But there's a there's a, a kind of opportunity there to to try and frame it in those words, and then you kind of quickly go, well, actually, I really have to do this stuff, um, and I'm being incentivized to do it. So, you know, get on with it. The way I would I'd look at it, and, and a lot of these interventions, um, it, it's about handling risk, isn't it? And you can never reduce risk to zero, um, but you've got to just weight it in your favor. Um, and if you take the bull example, I, I always look at risk as, as, well, what's the likelihood of it happening versus the consequences of it happening? And it's, it's the sort of thing that in, in workplaces, you end up doing this with health and safety example it's really really quite dull in that context but very important and you know take the bull thing you know so a bull breaks its leg um chances of that happening fairly low hopefully um uh um 
consequences of that happening if you haven't got enough ball power spare capacity huge um uh so you've got to weight those two things up take the other example of um likelihood of a bull being subfertile well actually moderately high is the answer to that because we know that probably somewhere around about 20 percent of bulls are consequences of that happening not as impactful as a completely infertile useless animal but but still significant and and there's gains to be made marginal gains to be made in all of these scenarios or major gains to be made in some of these scenarios and as you say the intervention cost of uh, assessing fertility status ahead of the breeding period is minimal compared to the opportunity cost that you're going to get from the benefit of having that knowledge um and and you know considering your your contingency plans is always the other one is is contingency planning with what level of spare capacity do you have uh, how are you going to manage an accident or an injury to a breeding bull and these sorts of things and making sure that that is very much in place so that it's well managed so yeah i think that that's a real no-brainer i think for me yeah yeah so also scanning 23 for calving 24 there was quite a lot of people who had a an okay kind of scanning you know it wasn't it wasn't a no records were broken either way and the crush side question again speaking to the vet or or scanning technician is it the bull or is it the cows you know you can't answer that if you didn't test the bull and even if you did test the bull you can't guarantee that 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 didn't change after the test but there is obviously you know there's a lot of a lot of power in the test and a lot of um, comfort can be taken from having knowing that your bull's fertile on the way out the door yeah what what about on the cows so what what else to be this psf preparing for sustainable farming has bull examinations it doesn't have anything in there for for cows or heifers but if you're being proactive at the moment colin what's what's the advice there so in and around calving and post calving to ensure that we're we're cooking with gas at bull in time this year well, I would start by saying, and it's a very easy thing to say, um, uh, and, and sometimes a harder thing to do, but I guess your perfect suckler cow will need zero intervention at all. Uh, if you want to design the textbook, perfect suckler cow, you can pick your breed. Um, we can have a debate about how, how small she needs to be and, and weight and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so I guess probably smaller, the better, um, and, you know, she should carve and, uh, without any assistance, she should have a calf that is very viable and jumps up to its feet and sucks very, very good quality colostrum. So calf viability is very good. Still birth rate is very low, zero intervention at carving, um, and then the fertility impact of that is is zero. Uh, it, there is no calving difficulties. There is no retained cleansings. Uh, there is no post-calving illness on the maternal side. Um, uh, she cleans up her uterus very, very quickly. Uh, she starts to cycle very, very quickly. And then she holds very, very quickly to first service once the breeding period opens that's your perfect cow um and you know there i mean as we all know there are plenty of cows like that and there are plenty of herds where virtually all their cows are like that but 
the flip side is also true. So one thing I think you've got to consider on on the breeding side is um, there is merit in uh, running post parturian checks on the problem calving cows. Uh, that is an intervention. It comes with a cost. But let's say there is 10% of the herd that you know have had calving difficulties, they've had a difficult calving. Um, there is you know, possibly risks of them holding the cleansing. They've given birth to a stillborn calf. Um, uh, cows that are in particularly poor body condition score, uh, cows that have carried twins, these sorts of girls. Uh, there is probably merit ahead of the breeding season in in checking these animals out, making sure that they're, you know, they're, uh, firstly, their uterus is clean, that everything is settled down again, and also, you know, that they are starting to cycle. So there is an intervention point in there which will help with fertility. Um that sort of approach is standard in the dairy industry um, with routine herd health visits. I think there is an opportunity there in the suckler herd, but I would go back to what I said at the start, and then if you've got everything set up perfectly, you shouldn't need to do that at all. Yep, yeah. To me, it's a thing that... So PSF, Preparing for Sustainable Farming, is a pilot scheme, and I think it's a an insight into some of what the future options might be um, in some of the tiers of future support but as a pilot it's important that we feed back and I think the f- my feedback there is bull testing brilliant but actually let's have you know pelvic scoring of heifers pre-breeding checks for problem cows and and having that conversation with the vet equally powerful you know and, and if we can get say we've got um, 85% rearing say we're, we're that we've got a 90 percent calving coming down to an 85 percent weaning let's get 95 percent in calf let's get 100 percent in calf the more that's there to start with the more we're going to wean down the line it's really interesting i i remember a long time ago when and this is just a slight digression when we started eating our own beef at home we had an idea well my husband had an idea to kind of go and right, I'm going to re-engage with the customer and go and kill my own cattle and sell them food. And we started eating our own beef and we had, a, we had, a, we had an Aberdeen Angus bull and we had a mixed herd of dairy cross breeding cows, real mixed bag. And we started eating our own beef and one month we'd have a cracking steak. It was brilliant. And the next month we'd have an awful one. And we were like, this is rubbish. This is no good. We, how will customers come back to us with the same to, to buy a steak again if they're going to have a great experience one month and a terrible experience the next month? It's like, right. And we gradually, well, it wasn't really me, but in, our, in, in my husband's thinking, it was like, well, we have to actually control the genetics of the herd better in order to produce a more consistent meat eating quality. And is there an analogy there on the maternal side, well, maternal and paternal side, that actually that is something that we need to begin to look to our genetics and the genetic traits we're selecting for in our maternal side that can support this piece, this productivity piece, really talking to the kind of the improved productivity, more cows in calf, more um, 
more weaned calves on the ground, cows getting back into calf more quickly. You know, that was quite a long-winded way of of talking about consistency of approach and and bringing in the genetics. But actually, I think it's probably quite relevant here. Yeah, and it's also the, the genetic story. Um, if I go back, I'm going to go dairy again, but when I started in here in 2010, at that stage, a 10,000 litre average was pretty rare. There was a few people doing it, but that was, you know, they were pushing hard to get it. As a, on the whole, there was, there was more dairy farmers. There was, you know, there was a lot more dairy farmers than there are now. But on those dairy farms, yields were lower, fertility was poorer, and there was a lot more lame cows. And they've selected and managed different, you know, some of that progress has been made through management, but the vast majority of progress being made is down to genetics and selection. And now most of the dairy farmers we deal with are in the 10,000 litre plus camp. And some of them are at the extreme end. The guys who were in 10,000 litres are now way beyond it. So I think it's interesting that the power of genetics and maybe Colin, is it something we don't, do we look at enough in the suckler world um, in terms of genetic and genetics and, and, you know, if we're chasing for progress, is that the, the first place we should be looking? Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not claiming to be a geneticist, but I would say that there's a lot of tools are already there, aren't they? In terms of uh, certainly around the fertility, uh, performance indicators because i mean we know that the 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 biggest issues with with suckler cow fertility and the risk of of a high of 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 an increased risk of being barren are going to be around calving ease body condition score um those are going to be some of the biggies aren't they gestation length those you know the tools are there for that and have been for a long period of time and are well used by by a good proportion of farmers um but that is on the female side. That is probably the biggest single factor is is going to be body condition score and ease of carving, and the information is there to really direct that. Um, you know, and I come back to you know the, the the perfect suckler cow is a cow that that you know will carve outside, will carve herself, and the calf viability is so good that uh, you know there is no intervention ever needed in that situation from a, a calf point of view or a calf health point of view. And the closer we can get to that, the better. So, yeah, I, we we have some of the tools there already, and we just need to use them. Would be what I would would say. Yeah. Sasha, we went in the summer. We were away to see Giles Henry with our discussion group, and we actually were back. Daniel Stout and I were back there for a, a meeting. I think we had seventy people there yesterday. Um, at Oakwood Mill looking at ling, ling cows, hill, hill ling cows, deferred grass and you know seeing the power of really what we were looking at was was the power of genetics so he's selected for a cow who's fit to graze you know she she's fat at weaning she can winter on deferred grass she can come off deferred grass onto rotation and calve on the rotation and the inputs to that system, he said yesterday, and it's one, he said it when we went for a visit as well, but he said in August last year, August 22, in the drought, he used more bales of hay then than he's used in the whole the, the whole period that he's been at Oakwood Mill in 27 years. He fed more hay in one month in the summer. So he's got a cow that's, that is low cost and 
the, the crucial bit there is profitable. So we've got we've got the cost out of the system. He's he's fortunate to have the farm that he's got. But equally, there's people who have a similar farm who don't run a similar system. So he's got low-cost system, really, really easy calved cows, easy fleshed cows who calve themselves. And the system appears to be, and they're very, Giles and Stuart are very able, capable operators, but it's an easy system to run. It's interesting you raise that example. It, it is an easy system to run. Sometimes doing doing less requires more thinking and more preparation to get to that point. You know, getting to that point has not been an easy path for, for that for that business. They've, you know, they've arrived at that point because they've, I think, what I pick up from them and what I heard very clearly from Stuart, who's the next generation coming in, is like, we don't want to handle our animals. We want to take work out of the system. We want to live a life. We want, I want to live a I want to have time for my family, live the life I want to live and have a profitable business. And that kind of quite sort of high level and, you know, personal goal setting is really important in that it drives the decisions that they make about the types of animals that they want to keep and the the, the outcomes they want to achieve on the farm. And sometimes, how do you get to that point? I don't know. You'd have to sit down with Giles and Stuart and ask them and you know get into the detail. But I think there's something here about families, family farming businesses deciding what it is they actually want to do and what it is how it is they actually want to live their lives and then what goals can the farm achieve as a business to support those sorry, what outcomes can the farm achieve as a business to support those goals? And and if and if there's three families or two families sitting down at the table and they want X and the farm or they want two X and the farm can only produce X, then then you've got some really hard thinking to do. And so that's when you move from these quite technical conversation into a much harder conversation about how how are we going to change our system to be able to achieve the goals that we want to achieve as a business and as a family, you know, running that business and working in it as well. That's, that's much harder yeah. in no, many ways. <laughs> definitely. And I think all of that stuff, you know, we, we, and I could talk my way out of a job by saying this, but we, we do a lot of one-to-one consultancy and it's, you know, it's a privilege to do, and we are doing a lot of system work. We're doing a lot of changing systems, reducing costs, trying to increase output, these types of conversations. However, a lot of this is really well done through group work, through trusted friends, through benchmarking groups. And, you know, there's a, a, a serious amount of good can be done by sharing your problems and by, by advertising your mistakes and learning from other people's mistakes. And and there's also something about here, I, I agree with you. I think if you go and talk to other people and you go and see other businesses or you or you participate in some kind of discussion group, you'll always come away with something. You know, you'll always come away with a wee nugget that you kind of go, oh, hang on a second. And it can fire something in your brain that, that helps you to think about things in a different way. But there's also something here about knowing when you need to get some good advice. So who is your who are the trusted people that you go to for advice? You know, animal health planning, you go to your vet. I'm not trying to sort of, you know, fangirl you here, Colin, but you know, you go to your vet and your vet will give you some, you know, your the plan that you need, maybe address some key issues in your herd. 
and and you know have some actions to take away accepting that you can't do everything immediately there's something here about progress accepting that progress and change can take a few years to try and build into your system but that if you don't start again i come back to that kind of climbing the mountain or or you know if you don't start at the if you don't put take the first step or or you're halfway up the mountain you go oh it's too hard i'll turn around and go back you have to keep moving forward and sometimes it takes a bit of rethinking about what your goals are and then it's like well I can't solve this problem on my own. I need to actually talk to somebody else or I need to go to a discussion group or I need to get an advisor involved. How do you build around you as a little business, a little farming business, but something that has great potential? How do you build that trusted team around you of people who can help challenge your thinking about things so that you can stay open-minded and keep moving forwards and actually not say no to things and and, uh, but actually embrace the change that's coming anyway for your business through, it could be policy change, it could be even localized climate change and weather issues within your, your area. You know, we really have to, as, as an industry, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, that's not to say that individually people aren't doing great technical things in different areas. I find it, you know, interesting thinking, thinking of using Giles and Stuart as the example there. Um, they're early adopters. They've done it. They've shared lots of information. And actually all of the policy signals we're hearing, particularly that, you know, fertility and things being a key, a genuine key driver for reducing emissions in the, in the beef sector, a much needed goal is to improve fertility. They've done it. So they'll be rewarded for having done it. And that's the the key for us all to realise is early adopters aren't going to be penalised in any of these systems. The, the reward is for being there, regardless of how or when you got there. Um, and yeah, yes, it's a good thing to remember, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yesterday, Colin, there was a, a point, and it's one that will stick in my mind, was the same group of cows who were, you know, deferred grass, no inputs, they're calving it too. And their bulling period is six weeks, and their return rate—you know, their their a their second calver pregnancy rate—is every bit as good as their cow pregnancy rate with a small heifer that's growing on poor quality through the win- poor quality forage through the winter, and the best of stuff through the summer. So, what do we say to the the you know, or or to me, that's the one that the example I'll be given to the people who can't calve it to you know the the there are it's a, a difficult conversation it's a tricky there are good reasons some people choose to calve at three but the challenge i think giles yesterday set set down the gauntlet of if if he can calve it too most people can do it i i would agree with that and a, a certain amount of that is going to be around the type of animal that you've got and what you're aiming for um the size of the animal that you've got in you know the uh, target live weight gain that you're going to have to have the target live weight that you're eventually aiming for, um, which, you know, across all the different breeds and crossbreed types that we've got in the Scottish suckler system, there's a huge variety there. Um, so I, it, it seems to me that to be profitable, then carving at two years old is, is really essential. 
Um, you know, if you've got to feed that animal for three years before she earns you a penny back, then uh, that that's a big dent in profitability right from the start. Um, absolutely, you know, one of the most tricky tests of any herd, be it dairy or beef, is you know what the recarving rate is. You know how many of those first carvers uh, have a second and third and fourth calf. Um, and, and we do know that you know that 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 heifer that calves for the first time, rearing calf for the first time, still growing, um, and uh, wanting to rebreed her on time is a is a challenge for some animals in some systems. But again, it's about it's about getting the getting the right animal for the right system. And you know the examples you're citing just show that it is it is possible, it is doable. And I would see that as as the future. I guess minimum standard that we're going to need for profitability. It's also the minimum standard that we're going to need for, you know, managing environmental sustainability in these animals as well. It's um, you know all of that CO two and methane emissions of an extra year's worth of rearing for no gain in productivity is is a challenge, isn't it, for us all? I think it's interesting. Just coming back to a comment that you made about you know advisors and trusted advisors and all that kind of stuff. I mean, in a way to be a profitable suckler herd um you almost want to take the vet out of the system uh, at least you want to, you, you, you it's, a, it's a strange thing for me to say as a vet but that's the dream kill call uh, the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the goal is that we don't that need the goal. you yeah. ultimately yeah. the goal is to do ourselves out of a job in that you've absolutely got it right if you've done yourself out of a job um in the the suckler herds that are absolutely doing their flying best They'll use a vet for the advisory preparatory stuff. Um, so, you know, things like we've talked about uh, pelvic scoring of heifers or bull fertility testing um, and, and and preventative health planning type of work. But this should be virtually, you know, zero fire brigade work in terms of helping animals that are, you know, needing carved or needing treated because they're ill or whatever it is. Uh, there will always be accidents and incidents and emergencies you're never going to reduce them to zero and you know that's what vets are for as well but in the perfect suckler system the veterinary contact points with the farm should be you know virtually wholly preventative and planning rather than uh, you know managing and treating if we can get it to that way and that's the, that's the dream for sure that is the dream and Potential health testing, you know, that kind of entry into that health goes testing. Into, that goes into the planning process. It's maximizing health status. Uh, it's maximizing, you know, uh, performance. And then when you get to that point, you're really in the game of marginal gains. You know, you, 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 how can you, you do these little tiny tweaks to gain extra performance working from a good base? And, and that's a, a, a very exciting prospect as well. Um, uh, once you get to that point so i think that's that's that the dream uh which is a, a funny one to be trying to dream to do yourself out of, of a job almost I, th I think it's important though for you know for i have a few vet friends and obviously speak to a lot of vets with my job and we see when it comes to caesars at two in the morning a you know cutting big calves out of over fat cows or lean cows or whatever the story is the vet actually wants to be there less than you do <laughs> you know, it's not it's not the yeah. dream job it's not um, it's it, it's an expensive job for the farmer but it's not what the vet wants to be doing they want to do proactive health planning Absolutely. conversations they want to yeah. be part of your team 
yeah. that comes down to the other half of that day, just going circling back to a point you made, you know, the dairy industry has a chance to get money from the cow, well, profit from the cow in a number of different ways. The suckler cow has one opportunity, well, two at the end of her life, but one opportunity every year to repay the business for her keep without wanting to sound too harsh about it. And and so the other half of that day was going to another farm, uh, was going to Graham Lofthouse's farm. And what was particularly evident, uh, well, this was in his sheep flock, was his culling policy it was pretty straightforward. There was a lot, there was some fairly clear guidance on that one. And I won, you know, I wonder, are we, are we tough enough on our culling policy and our suckler herd? Probably the short answer to that question is no, in that it's, it's the cows that get second chances. Yeah. Um, and and they sh- should they? Should they? No, yeah. Well, I, I'm struggling no. to find the reason why they should. Yeah. Uh, and it's exactly. also, we are seeing second chance. When you see a second chance for a cow, you automatically think it's an empty cow. But it's actually a lame cow, an angry cow, a cow that, you know, um, she's got big tits she's got you know she's got some kind of problem that creates work so graham's graham's sometimes a genetic you know like something that you really don't want to keep that genetics in the herd and should go so a a conversation we had that that day was about a you know basically graham's policy is if it causes if it causes them any work out with the routine she goes or she's certainly got a black mark against her name so she either goes down a flock or she goes out the flock altogether the, one of the questions we had that day was, you know, what about things that are, you know, how heritable is something? And Graham was kind of like, well, it doesn't really, he, he knows the answer to how he knows genetics better than any any farmer I've ever met. But does it really, truly matter if if it's heritable or do you just kill the cow, kill, kill the cow or the sheep out the system, take her hassle with her? And then she, there's no daughters that come in that might have a similar issue. So, and the big thing as well, from an from an, eco, an economic perspective, they're worth a lot of money. You know, it, that cull cow out of the system is a real opportunity, and a cull cow is store the store trade's really really good. But a cull cow is generally beating the year old store. So actually manage yeah. out the system, keep a heifer and go. Again. I think that works. You know, it, it all depends on cull cow values, but as long as they remain high. Uh, and there is a value in a well-fleshed cull suckler cow, uh, then that option seems to me to be a very, very good one. And they're likely to remain high. I'm, I'm quite confident to say they'll be high this year. So for for bulling, calving, for calving 24 and bulling 24... We're in a pretty strong cull position. The beef, the beef trade is rising. The cull cows are good. We should be making, in terms of herd progress, we should be making some hay when the sun shines. Yeah, no passenger cows at all, and it's just there's there's just no there's no reason from it from a herd progress point of view, a herd genetics, a herd development point of view, and, and economically, they're just. Just well, it costs you what six hundred pounds a winter, approximately, to keep a cow. Yeah. Why would you? Why would, Why you? would you do that? Um, and also, if we go all Michael Blanche, she costs you a lot of time at the same. You oh, know, yes. At the same time that um, 
these ladies that are just kicking about not doing a lot or costing you money and taking up your time so um speaking of time i'm conscious we are uh, getting well through this a uh, this podcast we've probably just scratched the surface here um you know we were we were actually going to take a deep dive into what the future looks like uh, and what future systems look like but i think we've we've covered quite a lot of ground here and there's quite a lot a lot to think about what i wondered colin there's certain jobs in, in my job that come in and they are routine type of jobs and I don't really enjoy doing them. You know, there's the kind of one you think, oh, it's one of those jobs. What's the one, see in the spring, so obviously you you obviously became a vet because you like animals and now the job you do deals with a lot of probably more dead animals than live animals. The deaths, the frustrations, what, what comes in in the next few months in and around calving that gets you frustrated or gets you annoyed where's the where we you know we've missed yeah so this is a this is an interesting one uh and i mean yeah you're right so i mean my my job is more about disease investigation and trying to prevent well diagnose and then prevent disease so um i think a couple of a couple of points that i would make and is it kind of leads you on from some of the fertility we talk we've had to start off with in that you know we've talked about basically getting the basic fertility right at the start but obviously where you then are going to lose pregnancies or or lose calves is around um abortions first of all well firstly it would be dead cows you know you get all these pregnancies in on board in october uh uh by october uh they're all pds you know how many pregnancies are there. Where are you going to lose them from there on in? You're going to have the odd cow that might die. So you're going to lose a pregnancy there and a cow, big hit. Uh, you're then going to have abortions. Uh, you're then going to have stillbirths. Uh, and then you're going to have um, you know, neonatal calf disease and, and things going forward from there. Um, and stuff that I find increase, increasingly frustrating uh, um on on the abortion and the stillbirth side um is well the first thing that i would say is 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 that if you're at the sort of the last third of your pregnancy as most of these suckler cows now are then any any loss of a calf at this point is abnormal you know it, it you know by the time you've got your pregnancy to six seven eight months it should it should go to term uh and it should uh you know give birth to a viable calf uh, that has the ability to get up and suckle and be healthy and grow and make some money. Um, so anything that's out with the norm there, uh, you know, anything that's lost at this point is abnormal. And I think we should be we should be investigating that. We should be trying to take that sort of black box thinking type of approach that uh, other industries do and think, right, well, you know, th this is an unforeseen event. It's not right. It shouldn't have happened. Why has it happened? Can we get some insight into what's gone on so that we can help plan it and prevent it so uh obviously a big part of my work is doing that um and you know every year we come up with with answers and we come up with hopefully some solutions to help plan what to do to try and limit that impact further on uh so you know taking that example you know i, I it, it's always a frustration when you you get farms where they're they're obviously prepared to tolerate quite a high level of loss at that stage and you think you know we need to we need to 
we, we can do something about this. We can, we can help. We can try and advise. We can get you answers that can, can help take the business forward for next year. So that's a frustration. I, I'm going to give you a sheep example here as well. And, and the one thing that frustrates me every year increasingly is, is where you make, you know, again, on abortion diagnosis at this time of year, and we diagnose, you know, the common two causes of sheep abortion every year, you know, is, is enzotic abortion and toxoplasmosis. And it drives me bats because, you know, they are entirely preventable diseases. Um, and they're still the most common causes of embryo loss in sheep uh, in the in the, uh, the later stages of pregnancy. And they're entirely preventable. And you just think, why, 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 so why Colin, are we doing this? Why? Why won't people, this comes down to investment. This comes down to, you know, when you think about it in money terms, it's return on investment. Mm. Why don't people invest in that preventable thing? What's the, what's the. It's a gamble. It's a gamble because there are vaccines that will prevent these diseases. So uh, uh, they, they, it is a, you know, a disease that can be vaccinated for and prevented and you know, if you're buying any vaccine, it's sent to some degree you're buying an insurance policy. And when you make the decisions about what vaccines to use, you're weighing up the likely risk of that disease being present on your farm versus the impact of what it'll have. It's that risk balance again. And yeah, we're all gamblers, aren't we? And farmers gamble every single day with all sorts of things, not least the weather. And and sometimes we get away with it and sometimes we don't. And uh it's that gamble, and are you prepared to take that risk? And and that's that's the reason. And and, and as I say, you know, farmers by their by their very nature, they, they have to gamble, and and they can't prevent everything. Um, but at the same time, you've got to look at it. Well, if you're investing in a vaccine that will essentially last the the lifetime of that animal, as in a in a breeding ewe, in this case. Uh, that's a pretty good return on investment to ensure that when she does actually get in lamb, she'll carry it to term or she should carry it to term or you're going to reduce the risk. So the, the same is true of cattle is, you know, uh, abortion losses, uh, you know, particularly in the late term, I, I view any of them as as abnormal. And, and we need to be taking that view of them and thinking, right, this shouldn't have happened. Why has it happened? Can we work out a reason? Can we do something about it? And uh, lots to learn there every year. It's both both analogies here are down to like checkbook stub economics. You know, if you, you know, it's it's nine pound to between Toxo and Enzovax, it's roughly nine pounds to vaccinate a hog. If you do it, if you do a hundred lambs, it costs you nine hundred quid. If you don't do, so you write a check for nine hundred pounds and it says it on the stub, vet nine hundred pounds. If you don't do it. It might cost you nine thousand pounds in losses and whatever, but you didn't write the check. It didn't actually cost you anything in terms of cash. And you know, there's a there's a mindset thing there as to what a cost actually is. You know, the the do we investigate an abortion? There's a bill that comes with it. But actually the bill that comes with it might be the thing that st- that stops the next five or six aborting. I think it it's that it's that weighing up of of investment. And I, I don't mind doing check stub economics or you know i don't know um backs payment economics whatever you want to call it now it's the modern way yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know that's actually how people make decisions and i think sometimes when when we think about our businesses that is actually it's important to try and think about where people are with their decision making and actually get into that with them 
say, okay, you know, okay, so you didn't want to make that decision then because of this reason, that reason, the other reason. These are hard conversations to have with people. And, and sometimes evidence can actually cut through those conversations or can support a message, you know, to, to, to businesses about, about the benefits of doing a thing um, and potentially long-term benefits of doing a thing. So benefits of doing a thing, Sasha, very ah. good point. But benefits <laughs> of doing a thing. What does the farm business survey have to offer? So we're talking about profitability, talking about looking at your business. What do we get from being part of the farm being business? Being part of the survey. Well, okay. Little sales pitch coming. Um, join the Scottish Farm Business Survey. It's a granular economic and environmental analysis of, of your business. And the data goes to Scottish Government. The Scottish Government does not know who you are should you participate in the survey. Um, and that's really important. Your anonymity is guaranteed. What you get back for this participation is, well, you have to give us your annual accounts, uh, your receipts and invoices for one year, for each year. And what you get back, that's sensitive information. We treat it carefully. What you get back is you get a set of management accounting, uh, a management accounts report, which is a sort of granular um, at market value economic analysis of your business. So you can really, it sort of gives your business a tough um, financial going over. You also get a performance benchmark report, which benchmarks your financial, your economic performance against farms similar in size and type to your own. There's some performance measures in there, particularly on your sheep flock and on, you know, uh, prices you get for your grain, stuff like that. If you're a dairy farmer, it'll give you um, your price per litre of milk compared to the, in, in, to the average of the, of the other dairy farmers in, in your group. So you get comparative data, and then you also get a um, a carbon footprint, a carbon audit done as well for free. We don't give you we give you some fairly high level mitigation advice. We don't give you farm specific mitigation advice, but this carbon audit is adequate for your a prefer a PSF application if you're going to carry on and do soil sampling as well. So there's lots of benefits to taking part. We only aim to take up most two hours of your time and uh, our farm business analyst team they treat your data with with utmost care and co and confidentiality and as we say government doesn't know who you are so do join in and um get some interesting economic and environmental facts and figures about your business yeah and back to the check stub economics it doesn't cost anything to do so it's really absolutely <laughs> nothing win. whatsoever it is completely free to join yeah so we, we use it at home we're part of the survey and i'm not am i allowed to say that I yeah know, you can yeah it's, it's, it's your anonymity you're, you're not allowed to say that i'm in it uh, <laughs> that's it but as part we've we started maybe four years ago and it really is a useful way of taking a, an easy deep dive into your business the data's all analysed, you have a look, um, see where you're at and, and there's always something interesting in it and particularly the carbon audit, well if my carbon audit's done by you it's one less one that I have to do so that's a Well that's there a you go one. for sure <laughs> and then there's something about comparative stats as well, there's no harm in comparing yourself to a group of others like you for simple things like you know what percentage of uh, uh, are you spending in your business on a, an input cost like fertilizer or feed, uh, feed that you might be buying in? And, um, you know, you can see if you stick out from the industry average and then you can kind of go, oh, why have I done that? 
Why, why did that happen this year? That's not good. Maybe we can address that. And it just sometimes seeing a, a set of numbers in front of you can just make you just trigger some conversations. Yeah. And it's also the route that Scottish government get to see where the economics of farming is actually at. And that's, I think, a really important thing because we all, we've all been quite vocal today and quite um, honest about what we think suckler farmers particularly need to do to to step up to the plate and become more profitable but the reality of the the suckler system is it it relies on support it should be supported because it delivers a lot of other a, a multiple benefits across the board and the support is needed and we also need to use the support to become better at what we do so i think it, it it's the feeding back to scottish government the true data of where we're at to allow them and and, and us as a group to to take this business forward because i strongly believe that's why i do the job i do the scottish suckler sector is changing but it's here to stay you know there's, there's a, a huge role for it to play and we need to engage develop make changes that are required but this system is here to stay for the long term for sure and i think uh, it's nice to hear you say that robert that that kind of this is a mechanism to feed back to government what the real economic picture is and and government take this data and information and use it to support their policy decision making so yeah join the survey and get those outputs for your own business and also to feed back up the chain yeah, perfect. Uh, Colin, I'm conscious Sasha got a wee sales pitch there. Uh, not so much a sales pitch, but uh, so thinking about those aborted fetuses or problems or we need a PM done, what's the process? How do we get things to you to get that valuable information back? Yeah, I mean, uh, first and foremost, work with your your practice vet, with your, your vet to you know, keep them first and foremost in the loop of everything that's going on. Um, uh, they then in turn work with us and there's, you know, multiple ways that they can then get stuff to us either, you know, directly um, by the farmer bringing it to one of our disease surveillance centers or by doing sampling and testing on farm. So there's lots of ways of doing it. The, the vet practitioner is the sort of pivotal bit to the whole thing uh, and then through them working to us so yeah the, the, there's lots of ways that that could be done and, and and it really you know shouldn't leave an excuse for not doing it dare i say it so that makes that quite simple um and yeah just one other thing on the the abortion diagnoses as well um is i think what we need to do is is almost be really delighted if we get a load of negative results because uh if if you screen an, a, you know, an, an aborted calf for all possible infectious diseases and find nothing, that's actually a very, very good result because it actually really confirms that you've not got anything to worry about. Uh, it is perhaps one of those things in that particular instance. Um, and, you know, it, it's quite a, a reassuring thing that would confirm that the health planning process is working. So it's a useful one, I think. Uh, um, so, yeah, I just encourage that, you know, knowledge is power with all this stuff. The more we can and follow up and investigate, the better it is either to identify a problem or to reassure you that things are going well, health planning is working, the job is on track. Yeah, knowledge is power, a good way to, to sum up. So I, I think 
today's but I've really enjoyed this conversation uh, it's been a chat across a lot of uh, a lot of ground I think going back to the policy stuff just to conclude I think from my perspective anyway we've got this potential change to beef calf scheme eligibility this reduced you know this a conditionality of 400 days or whatever the um the condition is going to be the options we've got are sit back and complain about it or step up to the plate and make changes and and get on with it and i think from hopefully from from the take-home message from this podcast is it's actually in everybody's interest not least the profitability of the business to step up to the plate and and get on with it so um I hope it's been useful. Um, certainly, we're, we're always keen to get feedback as well in these podcasts. If you do have thoughts and, and feelings on it, um, do feel free to, to drop us a line at the uh, or drop the the Faz inbox. A wee a wee line would be good. Um, but basically, that that's us for today. Sasha, Colin, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much, uh, and hope hope for a successful spring for us all. Cheers, Robert. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.